Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. It's 5.06 in the Mountain West. Welcome back to Drive Time Live. I'm Mills Crenshaw, and my guest is Jeffrey M. Bradshaw, the author of Temple Themes in the Book of Moses. Jeffrey, welcome to K-Talk. Thank you very much, Mills. Glad to have you, sir. Um, You have done a great deal of research, and most Christians have no concept uh, of early temple worship. Uh, Am I correct on that thought? That's certainly true, and uh, less so. Very few Christians have an idea of how central it is to the Bible. Well, What's the earliest you have found references, either in art or in early Christian literature, to temple worship among Christians? Well, Christian worship, uh, Christian temple references go back to the first century, the century in which Christ lives. We don't have, uh, uh, we we know that Jesus Christ himself uh, spent a lot of time in the temple, and that he spent time teaching his apostles. uh, about many temple concepts that were carried over into later Christianity. And we know that temple art, architecture, and liturgy continued even in those Christian groups that didn't, uh, uh, didn't continue with temple teachings. We sometimes find the shape of cathedrals, the shape of churches, some of the ceremonies in those churches have uh, resonances with uh, temple concepts. Give us an example of the the type of thing that you've found. Within Christian worship and the the scriptures, um, uh, we find, for example, um, that the layout of many of the Eastern Christian churches uh, contains temple furnishings relating to the menorah, relating to, um, in fact, uh, a veil corresponding to the veil of the Holy of Holies in their uh, regular church organizations, we find that some of the language and dress harkens back to the dress that was used by the Old Test in the Old Testament and in the New Testament by those who worked in the temple, for example. And these are not just carryovers of the Jewish r- rites uh, that uh, Christ may have uh, known when he was young. Well, in many cases, they're carryovers of the Jewish rites, but all Christians, I think, believe that those rites were fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we find that early Christians transformed those rites to take into account the fact that Jesus, for example, had fulfilled the atonement uh, rites that were carried on for centuries within the Israelite tradition. Give us some other examples of uh, the, the types of things that you found. Well, I think some of the... Uh, Early examples are some of the most striking. I just finished an article that will be published in the Studies of Bible and Antiquity next month, if all goes well, about uh, a mural that is in the Mesopotamian city of Mari that goes back to 1800 B.C. So this is a, although temples of all kinds are in every culture going back uh, many thousands of years, this is one of the earliest specific uh, concrete references we have to uh, the Garden of Eden story, written, of course, centuries before Moses took the pen in hand, that, uh, as I outlined in the article, uh, the uh, ceremony, which is portrayed in a beautiful color mural, uh, preserved for now nearly 4,000 years, 
the story uh, preserves the story of how the king would first of all listen to the Mesopotamian uh, creation story, move from there uh, into an area where there was a central sacred tree uh, with sweet fruit, and from there, through a, after a series of trials, uh, move step by step into uh, an area where he would pass through uh, a veil uh, resembling, in, in some general sense, the veil that was in the Jerusalem temple, and then be, be re-enthroned as king. And the specific motifs besides the central tree of life, as it were, were a uh, you know, second sacred tree corresponding to the uh, tree of knowledge, uh, cherubim, the equivalents of cherubim that guarded that veil, and uh, other uh, temple uh, symbolism uh, that any Old Testament scholar or Christian would recognize as being related to um, uh, those rites described in the Bible. This is, this is then uh, a liturgy and a temple ceremony for the Babylonians that was contemporary with the prophet Abraham, the best we can tell. That's interesting because um, uh, that sort of puts the lie to the, the thought that uh, many of these traditions were copied from the Greek. That's right. They go much further back than the Greek. As The more you study history, the more you find that many of these traditions uh, that you find in the Greek culture go back to Old Babylon, the Mesopotamian culture, and further back, of course, there's relations even further back with the Egyptian uh, cultures, which had much, much correspondence with those in the Middle East elsewhere. Speaking of the Egyptians, um, do you find similarities uh, in the uh, Egyptian tradition to the temple themes? Certainly. Uh, I, I haven't myself uh, studied, been a student of the Egyptian theme like many others have, that's a very complex subject on its own, and it has uh, a very uh, different um, set of cultural assumptions behind it, religious assumptions behind it. There are many scholars, such as uh, Hugh Nibley and John Gee and, and others uh, who are non-LDS uh, throughout the Christian world, who have uh, studied affinities between those Egyptian rituals and those in uh, biblical ceremonies. What about artwork? I'm sorry, what about our work? Artwork. Uh, artwork, yes. Um, so another interesting uh, thing that, uh, that uh, has come up is, is how the, those temple traditions continued in the Jewish um, tradition uh, beyond the time when the temple was destroyed. Um, for example, uh, we find uh, in a place called Dura Europos, also uh, a place on the Tigris and Euphrates River, um, a, a Jewish synagogue that, uh, to everyone's astonishment, had beautiful color murals painted all around it, and this was about 260 A.D. And in those murals, uh, some scholars, in particular Erwin Goodenough, a scholar who was at Yale for many years, could discern uh, an initiation ceremony rooted in some of the temple scribe practices, which continued to 250 B.C. One of the most interesting that I've written about in a BYU Studies article has to do with the mural of Ezekiel. And it starts with uh, a beautiful color uh, mural of Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones with everything 
destroyed and, and uh, dismembered bodies uh, because of the destructions that have taken place. Uh, a resurrection scene where a hand is extended from uh, heaven to bring uh, Ezekiel and those others to uh, a valley where their bodies were going to be restored. Another hand descends to help uh, resurrect uh, Israel, who is standing uh, represented in a Jewish prayer circle, uh, dressed in white with special white garments with special markings on them. And then in the final panel, moving away from that celestial scene, uh, we see Ezekiel returning to his ordinary life and being beheaded and killed for his prophecies, as, as many legends say about Ezekiel. And what Erwin Goodenough and others saw in that artwork was a temple-themed uh, uh, of worship in the artwork, uh, an ascension to heaven, as it were, through uh, being enacted by Ezekiel and those in the congregation who no doubt witnessed uh, recitations of that story that corresponded in some sense to the written find in uh, the Dead Sea uh, Scrolls, among the Dead Sea Scrolls people. They have the text uh, with no pictures, whereas the people in Dura Europos had beautiful murals describing things related to their form of worship but no text that survived. And yet when you put those together, you find a very interesting story as some scholars are starting to discover more and more. Well, the thing that makes this so fascinating to me is that uh, Christians who really are dedicated Christians uh, are surprised to learn, it seems to me, that Christianity contained a lot more than just uh, the simple rituals that many of the churches uh, think are the the total of the gospel. Yes, absolutely. Um, many, as 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 you know, many uh, uh, there were many different kinds of beliefs and doctrines during the early years of Christianity that later on uh, were uh, discarded from the mainline church as uh, history moved forward. Uh, there were uh, votes and councils and, uh, and writings, uh, sometimes acrimonious, between different church leaders to try and understand which of those writings and which of those doctrines were authentic and which were not. Unfortunately, many of those that were temple-related uh, were, uh, were discarded in the process, including ideas relating to uh, the pre-mortal uh, existence of mankind and their ability to move uh, forward in time until they reach the presence of God. Fortunately, some of those teachings have survived among the writings of the Gnostics. Uh, that's a group that uh, was uh, considered heretical by mainstream Christians, and, and no doubt some of their teachings were off-base. But they preserved some of the earlier traditions that talked about um, uh, the Christian temple tradition, which included not only uh, work for the living, but also work for the dead. Let me open the phone lines, the uh, telephone number to ask questions of uh, Jeffrey Bradshaw, uh, 254-5855. And let me remind you of the rules uh, when we have a guest. You're free to call that guest and ask questions, and then uh, once the guest is gone, you're free to call back uh, during the non-guest period. Uh, all right, let's go directly to Darrell. Welcome, Darrell. You're on K Talk. 
Thank you, and it's uh, it's great to have Jeffrey uh, finally on. I've been trying to get him for quite some time, and uh, his book is Temple Themes. Uh, is is what's the book title again? Temple Themes in the Book of Moses. Right, and I read it, and it's very impressive. And it's in a book that contains a lot of uh, endnotes and a lot of uh, artworks. Uh, of uh, things that I've been interested in for a number of years and done similar research in, and and I so I'd like to uh, uh, just talk about temple evidence, uh, where people can go to find uh, the evidence, if that's okay. If you Google image Christ ascension into heaven, you'll see a lot of uh, artworks. In fact, there's some that appear in your book about uh, Christ ascension up into heaven, where the hand of the Father is extended. And Christ grabs a hold of that hand. Uh, another area is Christ ascending to hell, Hades, limbo, purgatory, or the anastasis in iconography, where uh, you see um, Christ raising Adam, the first to be raised up out of the the uh, underworld by different types of hand and wrist grasps. Is that something that also shows up in your artworks of your book that, that I thought was interesting? Yes, absolutely. That's a solid tradition that goes back to the very early centuries of Christianity and and even beyond, even in the time of, of, of Christ. You find in references even in the Psalms where uh, the righteous dead are taken up uh, into the counsels of God by the right hand, uh, oh. as, you, as you've indicated. Temple rituals, there's evidence, uh, are really uh, in the Old Testament... Uh, uh, sort of a type and a figure of uh, what the disciples expected to happen to them at the time they died and, and moved to heaven. So the references... We have to pause for a minute uh, oh. for a commercial break. Sure. Well, thank you for the call. Clinically proven. AM 630 K-Talk, the voice of Utah. Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. 524 in the Mountain West. Welcome back to Drive Time Live, the Mills Crenshaw Show. My guest, Jeffrey M. Bradshaw, author of Temple Themes in the Book of Moses. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Greg, you're on with uh, Jeffrey M. Bradshaw. Thank you, Mills, for uh, letting me come on with uh, Mr. Bradshaw. Uh, first off, you know, Mr. Bradshaw, there are a lot of Bradshaws in the LDS Church that I know. They're hooked into the uh, seminary system. Are you a uh, relative of that family? No, not directly, but I'll claim them if they're good people. They're, they're good people. So Okay. Listen, um, I, at a very young age, I, I was privileged to be a um, draftsman for the gentleman that was the, the uh, what was called then the temple architect. He was a, uh, a very close relative to President David O. McKay, and his name was... Um, uh, Edward O. Anderson, and uh, as uh, we were uh, designing a uh, uh, extension um, to the Salt Lake Temple, I learned an awful lot about what was going on, and then consequently read a lot. Have you ever read a book called The Temple and the Lodge? No, I haven't. Tell me more. Well, it's it's just an interesting book, and it shows uh, 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 very close ties between masonry and the LDS church but even more interesting than that and it's, it can be done very quickly one uh, takes a uh, get on the internet and take a uh, 
uh, uh, get a reference to the the different uh, uh, main lodges to the states around the state of Utah, and they appeared as though they're all from the same genre uh, uh, of uh, of uh, the 47 East South Temple building. Uh, however, in Salt Lake, the uh, the uh, uh, lodge here in in in, uh, in Salt Lake up at about oh. Uh, 650 East South Temple is is from a totally different uh, uh, genre uh, in that it is it's, it's uh, an Egyptian um, uh, rendition. And uh, if you read uh, um, enough, uh, you come to understand a little bit more about that particular type uh, when you read about uh, read the writings of Hugh Nibley. But anyway, the whole thing is a very interesting study in architecture as well as belief systems. Sure appreciate you coming on and, and giving your explanation of what's going on. Thanks, Thank you Greg. very much. Appreciate your call. 254-5855. Now we have the uh, resident atheist, Carl. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Uh, I was just uh, looking at uh, my copy of The Pearl of Great Price, and... Uh, all it says is uh, about the Book of Mormon or the Book of Moses is uh, as revealed to Joseph Smith, June and December of 1830. Uh, uh, now, uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with the, the story. Uh, I, I've heard it said that uh, Moses actually appeared to Joseph Smith. Is that is that true? Um. I have never heard that story said said to me. Okay, no. so uh, how was the Book of Mormon uh, revealed to Joseph Smith? Um, Wait a minute, you you've confused it because Book of Mormon and uh, Book of Moses, Book, Book of sorry. Moses are two different things. Yeah, how was the Book of Moses uh, revealed to uh, Smith? The uh, Book of Moses uh, was given by revelation in a manner similar to uh, the uh, the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, so far as we know, there was no uh, there were no instruments used, no uh, particular heavenly visions, but it was revealed as he studied um, the text of the Bible and um, and received uh, revelation relating to that text. Well, what, let me let me ask you a corollary to that because I think mm -hmm. Carl's touched on something very interesting. Um, your research is back into original manuscripts, original writings, original artwork. Uh, do you find parallels? Yes, uh, you mean parallels with the Book of Moses. Yes, one of the most striking, in fact, is with an ancient document called the Apocalypse of Abraham. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia, uh, you can see very, um, uh, just look at the Book of Moses in there, you can find some very striking references and parallels just even in that source about the Apocalypse of Abraham and the, and the Book of Moses. In fact, uh, as I looked at the uh, page the other day, the uh, talk page on Wikipedia where controversies are, the editors were a little bit upset because they, they felt that uh, uh, there ought to be some opposing points of view to these resemblances found, and they'd been talking for three years to try and get some opposing views, and no one had come forward as of yet on any of those. Um, I've given a talk which is available on my website if you'd like to look into that, but certainly the Book of Moses, Chapter 1, and the Apocalypse of Abraham are some of the st most striking parallels that you can find 
both in the artwork and the text of Joseph Smith's revelations. What's, and, uh, what is uh, that website, please? I'm sorry, www.templethemes.net. Okay, uh, can I ask some more? Of course. Sure. Yeah. Now, uh, where uh, where did this uh, did this occur in the uh, the Kirtland Temple, where he had his uh, revelation um, that led to the Book of Moses? The Book of Moses, right? No, June eighteen thirty uh, was a time uh, when uh, he was still uh, living in the New York area. In fact, even before they went to Ohio, uh, so. so uh, uh, they, he and Oliver Cowdery had bought a Bible and began to uh, transcribe it uh, while they were still in New York, and then later continued that so, process once so they this moved to Ohio. Proce- this process of revelation, I mean, Joseph Smith is sitting there uh, dictating the book of uh, Moses, and somebody's writing it down. Who was writing it down? There, there were different scribes at different times, and I don't have you know all the details no. in front of me to, to so, tell you, but it included uh, Oliver Cowdery at the very beginning. So we, we have only Smith Joseph Smith's uh, word. Carl, that, let, that, him, let him finish his answer before you... Uh, yeah, I thought in. he was done. No. I'm sorry, Oliver Cowdery and whom? Uh, David Whitmer, Emma Smith uh, was described for a while. Uh, if you want the full list, I can look it up here. Uh, uh, it's in the early part of a book that I have. Um, but, but uh, uh, yeah, I think that's it. John Whitmer was another one. And Frederick G. Williams and Sidney Rigdon came into the picture about uh, December 1830 when they were about Moses chapter 8. Yeah, so uh, in other words, uh, Joseph Smith is uh, uh, saying these words, and we don't know whether he was uh, making this stuff up or whether uh, he was receiving it, uh, you know, from uh, some okay. divine source. Hey, Carl, I think that's a, that's a fair statement. Now, if he made it up, it's going to be filled with a bunch of nonsense, I would think. Looking back at the ancient documents, the ancient writings, the ancient uh, artwork that you found, what did you find? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the, the best proof, I think, or the best evidence to evaluate in this regard is to actually look at the books themselves. And so I would, I would advise, if you'd like to take a fair look at those things, we don't have access to the mind and heart of Joseph Smith right now as he was doing the translation. But with respect to Moses 1, we have the Apocalypse of Abraham. And especially for the and for the, the story of Adam and Eve, we have a variety of Christian books that had additional stories uh, about the life of Adam and Eve that appear in the book of Moses but did not appear in the, uh, uh, in the Bible. For the stories of Enoch, uh, I just uh, recently uh, noted down 21 different parallels between the ancient Enoch literature, very tight ones, even going down to the names of individuals and specific phrasing and that relate to the chapters in the Book of Moses about Enoch. For example, uh, one of uh, my dear friends uh, who's a non-LDS person at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Andre Orloff, uh, was struck by the fact that in... Um, Moses uh, chapter 6 when uh, Enoch is confronted by God and begins his vision he says I am but a lad and uh, he didn't feel he could he could go out and preach and interestingly enough the ancient Enoch literature the nickname he's given is the lad and no one can can say why Um, I had a chance to visit with another scholar who I won't uh, um, mention that scholar's name but it was sitting down in England 
looking at uh, the events of Moses 1 comparing to the apocalypse of, of Abraham. And as we were going through that, this scholar uh, opened her mouth and said, um, Joseph Smith can't have made this up. Well, I think he did make it up because uh, I don't believe Moses ever existed. I think Moses is just a, a figment of the Jews' imagination. Well, wait a second, Carl. Yeah. If if he if Moses was a figment of uh, the Jews' imagination, then how is it that historically these uh, very decided parallels show up? Well, you know, I think you can always find parallels. Uh, uh, parallels don't prove a thing. Oh, really? No. Uh, no. Tell tell me, um, no, I, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, uh, would Joseph Smith have had access to these ancient documents? No, he certainly would not have. Most of them started to come forth at the end of the nineteenth century. Yeah, Moses uh, no more existed than uh, Israelite civilization here in America. The Book of no, Mormon no. is a work of fiction, just like the Book of Moses. I do want to agree with you on one thing. I don't think it's necessary to believe that Moses authored every word that's in the books ascribed to him. Uh, then it's necessary to believe that, uh, you know, Jesus' uh, words were conveyed exactly in the New Testament. Uh, we know that the Old Testament went through a lot of hands and scribes. And so uh, it's not... Uh, we, I do believe Moses existed as a historical figure, but I well, do believe that a... those books did go through some... Some editing after the fact, just there's like not any other shred, did. There's not a shred of evidence in Egypt uh, that they ever held the Israelites as, as captives. There's no no shred of evidence that a, a man named Moses, uh, if he had, if uh, if Moses had existed as uh, stated in the Bible, I mean, uh, the, the whole Middle East would have uh, heard about this guy. And there is nothing outside the Bible that indicates Moses ever existed. Well, I don't want to debate with you the existence of Moses here, but I will just say that there have been many other uh, biblical figures uh, for whom the same thing was said for many, many uh, years, and then later on some very interesting evidence showed up. But, but my specialty is in archaeology. My specialty is really comparing ancient texts. So I'd urge you, if, you, if you're really yeah, and, interested and, in the answer to your question, to, to take a look at uh, uh, what's been written and, and decide for yourself on that basis, and then... For archaeology, we'll have to leave it to somebody who knows a lot more than I do. Well, there are none so blind as those who won't see. But, uh, Carl, I appreciate the call and the challenges. Let's go to uh, Dave. Dave, welcome. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, Can you speak up, please? Yeah, uh, listen, I have one question for Carl and one for your guest. My, my question for Carl is that last verse in Psalms 47, scientists now tell us that the uh, mag ma magnetic field of the Earth forms a shield that bends dangerous radiation from the sun around the earth so it doesn't strike the earth. This is a shield. The last verse in Psalms 47, verse 9, refers to the shields of the earth belong to God. And I, my question for Carl is, how did a bunch of peasant sheep herders 3,000 years ago know that the earth had a shield? Now, now my question for your guest is in, in uh, the, the book of Jude. Can you hear me at all, Mills? Yeah, you're still a little faint. Okay, uh, uh, the in, in the book of Jude, it uh, makes reference to the prophecy of Enoch, and, and it's not found in the Old Testament. Could your guest comment about how the, the Bible's been edited heavily? Uh, uh, I mean, th this is just evidence that this, this uh, I think it's verse 9 in, in Jude where it talks about the prophecy of Enoch. Uh, uh, could, could he talk about the, the editing that the Bible has received over the years? Sure. 
Yes, that's a great question uh, you you, um, you raise, and in fact, you're absolutely right. The uh, Book of Jude does quote in two places from uh, the Book of Enoch, and in fact, we have a uh, manuscript uh, where uh, we've been able to find it's, it's the Book of First Enoch in pseudepigraphal that actually uh, corresponds to those um, um, those um, verses that Jude was quoting. The um, um, the interesting thing is that the Christians very highly valued that book in the early uh, days of Christianity. That book, unfortunately, the Book of Enoch, was excluded from the canon later on, and so that and it was lost for many years until the first versions of that were found in Ethiopia, which was an early Christian stronghold. Interestingly enough, there's many interesting uh, verses in uh, First and Second Enoch, uh, these ancient documents, which uh, correspond to descriptions of Enoch and his story in the book of Moses. Which is quite remarkable since Joseph Smith couldn't have had access to that. Um, Richard, welcome. You're on K-Talk. Hey, how we doing? Good. Here's a comment for Carl on that uh, Moses deal. Yeah. If he goes out and gets the uh, movie on the Ten Commandments, well, that proves that Moses was real. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, absolutely. Cecil B. would not have put out a work of fiction, obviously. Uh, I, since you've worked with these ancient manuscripts and you, you've compared things, um, at of course, at the Council of uh, Nicaea, um, the whole Chris, the whole of Christendom was set on its ear by a brand new, what I would consider a heretical doctrine called the Trinity. In your study of the ancient manuscripts, have you come across references to the Godhead as separate individuals? Yes. Again, I won't claim that that's my area of, of expertise. But uh, when I uh, wrote extensively about uh, the creation story in um, an earlier commentary on the book of Moses, which corresponds to the early chapters of Genesis, um, I discovered there's the majority of uh, modern Bible scholars believe that when God said, "Let us make man in our own image," they were not only he was not only he was not just speaking in a royal we, but uh, was speaking to his heavenly council. Uh, which uh, in the earlier, many believe the earlier Jewish uh, um, theology consisted of the sons of God, although later... Uh, finish that statement. Although later Jewish uh, um, uh, writers were a little embarrassed by that and said he must have been speaking to the angels. Ah, okay. Well, don't lose that train of thought. I want to pick that up when we come back. Okay. Well, you're listening to Drive Time Live, the Mills Crenshaw Show. My guest, Jeffrey Bradshaw. AM 630 K-Talk, live local two-way talk. Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. 543 in the Mountain West. Welcome back. My guest is uh, Jeffrey M. Bradshaw. Uh, I want to make sure we have your website correct, uh, www.templethemes.net. Yes, that's correct. Excellent. And I, uh, I recommend it. It's going to be a fascinating study if you uh, go to that website. Um, go, go back to the early uh, 
traditions that you have come across in in early Christianity and the the fact that even uh, some of the uh, early Jewish scholars talk about a uh, a council in heaven that's that's quite a fascinating topic yes uh, uh, it's it's a very well-known uh, thought among Bible scholars that uh, God did not operate alone but had a, a heavenly council with him and we see that very clearly for example, in the book of Job, that's probably the most explicit way in which we see it in the modern Bible, apart from the Jewish traditions, where you remember he called the sons of God before him, and Satan was among them there, and uh, and they went on to allow the temptation of Job. Um, Hold that thought for just a second, because one of the criticisms of LDS doctrine is that, shockingly, the Mormons believe that uh, Lucifer, Satan, was Jesus' brother. Why, that's outrageous, they say. Uh, but, but you just said in Job, <clears throat> he called the sons of God together. And there's no question that Jesus was a son of God, correct? Yes. And Satan was among the sons of God? Uh, Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now it's true that it doesn't explicitly say that he was also one of them, but it's implied, strongly implied, by the way the verse is written. Any other uh, indications in the early literature or early art of that? Um, of the early councils in heaven? Yes. Um, I don't have the references off the top of my hand, but throughout the, uh, that book, uh, uh, I, there are several uh, different places in the Old Testament uh, where it refers to God uh, speaking with his counsel. And there's many pictorial representations as well. Um, again, in the earliest writings, we find that that heavenly counsel is referred to as the sons of God, and that later view became unpopular in the Second Temple period, and people started to see them as the angels. Deuteronomy 33 is one example where it talks about the different um, um, nations of the earth being appointed with um, among the sons of God, for example. There's an example in Deuteronomy that was later a little bit of an embarrassment, so it was uh, modified in uh, some of the other versions of Scripture that we have today. One interesting thing is that the most, one of the most uh, favored um, Bible scholars who's recently passed away, David Noel Friedman, not a member of the LDS Church, was convinced that the man's image and likeness, as we find in the Bible, was a physical, physical likeness. He said uh, that when we talk about Selim, image, and Demut, likeness, he says, quote, uh, uh, the image is the same, the basic features are co comparable, while God is not human and humans are not divine, they share a common appearance or physique in the Bible. Whatever God is described in the human Bible, he has features that human beings also have. And this certainly points to an early belief in, Christian, or in, in Judaism and later in Christianity about uh, the, the nature of the likeness that existed between man and God, which also extended to Adam. You remember Genesis chapter 5 when Adam had a son, uh, he said that uh, he used the same word about his son that uh, God used about him, namely that his son of his body was in his image after his likeness. And so it's pretty clear what is meant by those words. So um, there is not a reference to some 
um, amorphous uh, blob of plasma that is God, but um, anthropomorphic. That's certainly true uh, from what can be discerned in many of the earliest documents of Judaism. Of course, it's not universal, and, and there were contradicting strands in what was believed in Judaism, just like there were, you know, are in Christianity today. But I think most Bible scholars would, would agree that there was a strand of Judaism, a, a very dominant at certain times strand of Judaism, that saw uh, uh, God and man being literally in the same image and likeness. Fascinating. What are some of the other things that you've discovered that, uh, that fascinated you? Well, one of the interesting features of, of the, uh, the early books of the Bible, this, the Genesis and the Book of Moses, is the fact that it isn't just um, that the creation story was used in the uh, temple um, worship, but also many features of the temple uh, are found in the description of the Garden of Eden, which is a little bit of a surprise. Um, you can look at the story of creation as one example, where it gives the different days of creation. And if you follow things carefully, uh, you can see that um, the different furniture and the different features of the temple uh, go step by step uh, in accordance with the, the days of creation. Let me give you one example of that when it says that the first creation was light, uh, the Jewish, and this is uh, from the traditions of the Jews by Lewis Ginsburg, is the best summary of this. Uh, it says that corresponded to behind the veil in the temple. And then a firmament or a division, a curtain was placed in heaven, and that corresponds to the veil. And then it talks about the lights being placed in the heavens, the sun and moon and stars, and that corresponds to the menorah, the big, the uh, seven branch candlestick that I think we're all aware of. And then the plant life, which corresponded to the shoe bread on the table, the animal life, the birds in the, in the, uh, in the air, which corresponded to the cherubim, and finally uh, the creation of man, who was uh, corresponded to the Levite, who was to care for the temple. And so even the architecture of the temple itself was derived from the creation story that Moses presented us, and uh, the features of the Garden of Eden, including... Uh, some of the, the special trees that were there have very interesting uh, correspondences to the temple itself. This this is very fascinating to me. I hope it is to uh, a, a majority of the audience as well. Um, have you come across in the early Christian writings and in the early Jewish texts that the word creation really was mistranslated and that it is much closer to organize rather than creation? Uh, yes, it's interesting you should mention that. Um, there's some very uh, uh, astute Bible scholars, John Walton, uh, and uh, being one of the most well-known among them, who studied the creation story carefully and has become very convinced that the creation of the world was not uh, from nothing, as has sometimes been supposed, that, that the idea of creation from nothing uh, was an idea that was introduced very late uh, in the biblical, among the biblical uh, theology, but that uh, it really was an organization of things. He, he gives the analogy of, of uh, organizing a new company, organizing a nation. 
It's not that the people and the land and maybe the buildings didn't exist before, but that when they were created means when they began to function uh, in their proper places as, a, as, a, as an entity that has some purpose. And in the same way in his study of, of the notion of creation, uh, when the earth was created, uh, it was an organization and a fitting of all those things to a purpose rather than just being without form and void as was in the beginning. Interesting. Susie, welcome. You're on K-Talk. Well, I sure wish I had all the things I need to look up in the Bible, because I know things, but then if you don't keep reading it, it leaves your brain. Oh, um, I just read the Job thing. I, I, I also heard from Calvary Chapel or other places, you know, Christians born again and so forth, that basically, um, you know, and I, even in Luke, you know, Christ saw Lucifer fall like a, you know, like a star out of heaven. Mm-hmm. He lost his whatever he because of his pride. Um, are you saying that he's, he is his brother? Are you saying that, because I read it in the Bible, he's a, he was an archangel, and he, strung, he played music. He was a music, basically he played the harp or something like that at the throne of God. And he went through all of heaven and con- tried to convince everyone that God didn't exist. Now, do you know about that part of the Bible? I don't believe uh, I've, I don't believe that uh, some of the things you mentioned are listed in the Bible. But there's many, many traditions about Satan and his role uh, even before the Earth was created. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting are some of the the traditions from Islam. We tend to think about Islam as being a very distinct from Christianity, but actually Muhammad associated with many uh, Jews in his early life and seems to have shared some of the same traditions, some of which have been lost from the Bible. For example, in the Quran you'll find the story uh, where uh, when uh, Adam was created in God's image, they commanded all of God's uh, counsel to bow down and worship him. And uh, Satan refused to do so. Uh, He said, I'm not going to bow down to somebody who's less senior than I am. And uh, that started the rebellion where he later uh, came down and tempted Adam and Eve in the Quran and was a sort of a prologue to that story in the Quran, just like in the book of Moses. Uh, it's a prologue. That council in heaven is a prologue to the Adam and Eve story that was restored by Joseph Smith. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Two five four fifty eight fifty five. We're getting uh, close to the top of the hour, so if you have questions, I'd like you to uh, bring them in as uh, as quickly as you can. Um, the, this cross-referencing, do, do, do you see any uh, example where perhaps uh, one of the, one of the uh, atheists' favorite little uh, tricks is to say, well, uh, Judaism and Christianity copied their stories of heroes from the Greeks. Do you find any evidence that it's actually the opposite? Well, uh, certainly uh, uh, the, some of the stories of the Greeks, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Sumerians, are much older than the, than the records we have in the Bible. And that creates a little bit of a dilemma, I think, for anyone who believes that um, the fullness of the gospel wasn't revealed until uh, uh, much later in Jewish history or, or until the time of Christianity. As a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, of course, I believe 
that the gospel was had in the beginning and then was later lost and distorted and and uh, moved around to different places and so to me to find these older stories that um, seem to have resemblances with what we uh, know about uh, God's dealings with humanity in ancient times to me it's a more of a confirmation and vindication of what I've been taught than anything that shakes my faith any new works or new books that are coming up well, I've recently uh, published a book called Temple Themes in the Oath and Covenant of the, Pri of the Priesthood, which is a very interesting study because it shows, like um, the work on the Book of Moses, that the temple uh, doctrines and ordinances that Joseph Smith um, talked about publicly starting in 1842 were actually quite well developed as early as 1830 or 1832. So that's been a very exciting study to find really the roots of these things at the very, very beginning, which uh, counters the idea that he got them through his exposure to masonry or for, through other sources. In and, fact, and where is that book available? It's available on Amazon.com or from uh, the uh, Eborn Bookstore, from the uh, Fair LDS Bookstore, or from BYU Bookstore, among other places. Outstanding. We really appreciate your being with us, Jeffrey. Uh, uh, I would like to invite you back again in the very near future. Thank you very much. And uh, our compliments on all the work you've done. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.